For June 12th, 2023, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 780. Art is a conversation. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are having an incredible reunion. Guys, it's so great to be back. I was away for three episodes on my uh, on my honeymoon. I think that may be the longest period of time that I have been separated from this podcast. <laughs> yeah. In the, Did we in, manage to not ruin the show while you were away, Matt? You guys were wonderful. Like I I enjoyed so oh, much listening you. to the show uh on on headphones, like being a being a spectator. Uh, and being an audience member uh, of the show, except that I kept wanting to talk. I kept like talking aloud while I was, you know, in Europe, like on train rides. Um, you know, a functioning rail system really is a boost to <laughs> the standard of living in a, in a place. And, uh, I, you know, you guys really livened up a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, a bunch of travel and a bunch of kind of moments that, you know, I don't know what I would have done without, uh, without that. But then I started speaking out loud because, you know, normally we just, uh, we just talk, right? And I, I hear you in the headphones and I can can reply to you. Um, and if the French didn't think I was weird enough, <laughs> they were they were uh, they thought I was uh, they thought I was weirder. I was so so inspired uh, to learn video games from your video games episode yeah. that I uh-huh. I, uh, I broke the record for speed running Mario on the Nintendo Entertainment System. What? And yeah, absolutely. What? It's uh you know speed running Mario. Yeah, you gotta you gotta learn the that frame game called Mario. The yeah. Super Mario Brothers. You know you gotta oh, okay, okay. you gotta learn the frame you gotta learn the frame rule. You know, yeah, oh, okay, the... okay. So you did learn enough to be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> a little, a little knowledge is a is a dangerous thing. No, all all the episodes were uh, were totally wonderful, and I really enjoyed uh, listening to them. Thank you very much for you know. I, I feel like we're going to get mail that says like, no, bring back, bring back the uh, the the Fenzel Lee regime. <laughs> make, make it purely a video game podcast. <laughs> <laughs> take, take the show to Twitch and just like yeah, just live stream us playing whatever random crap. Um, Microsoft Excel uh, Twitch stream. I think Pete, that's that's <laughs> we should oh, yeah. get to that. Flight Simulator, you can Flight Simulator and Microsoft Excel. Yes, I'll tab between two of them. Is it an Excel sheet where we keep track of the itineraries of our flights in Flight Simulator? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We actually we play kind of a meta game with Flight Simulator called Dispatch Airline Dispatch, and we just uh, we just try to like you know cover- you joke, Matt, but that is a- absolutely a thing. <laughs> like there's like an air traffic and virtual air traffic control game. That you can role play on top of Microsoft Flight Simulator. Oh, on top of Microsoft. That's that's uh-huh. so interesting. You know, it's funny. Like in my I, in my family, I have a pilot, a general aviation, just a you know hobbyist hobbyist pilot. Um, and uh, there was a a game called Tracon uh, a while back on like DOS computers, which was um. I think it stands for traffic control that, that, uh, simulated the experience of like being a, a pilot, uh, being an air traffic controller, which is mostly like watching someone come in on one side of the circle of your, like, uh, your sphere of concern and then watching them exit on the other side of the circle and like handing them off to, you know, handing them off to a different controller on the, uh, on the thing. It was pretty, uh, pretty incredible, but guys, I was on my honeymoon. It was, it was, uh, pretty, uh, it was pretty awesome. We, we went to, to Paris. Um, I, I did Ooh, not, hold, I did not hold the, uh, the overthinking Eurovision meetup that <laughs> I kept threatening my wife we were going to do. I, just, <laughs> I decided that we should actually focus on, you know, spending time together instead. We did that. Uh, we did that. Now, you know, the, the uh, love Paris, the knock on Paris is that it's crowded and dirty, but everyone who, no one who says that has lived in an American city. Uh, it's, yeah. uh, <laughs> It's just so, so breathtakingly livable, you know, protests and all, um, that I can't, uh, I can't imagine what people are, people are talking about. Um, went down to the south of France, uh, stayed in Avignon, uh, walked across that bridge that's like halfway across the Rhone River, you know, and then just kind of dead ends, uh, there. Um, sang the Avignon bridge, bridge song and, uh, you know, to, 
wine tasted down in the in the southern Rhone and stuff like that. Hit up the the coast, uh, the Spanish coast, Costa Brava. Spent a couple of days on the beach and ended in Barcelona, which was a big party. Just as Formula One was coming to town, actually, Ooh. right? Like the, I, we did not plan for that, and it, it probably like affected the the uh, the expense, right? As, as the hotel rates were jacked up to uh, accommodate, um, you know, the the big international event that that descended on the thing and it probably was a little busier than it might have been but you know that 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 city's a party and the uh the basilica the gaudi basilica there is is uh maybe one of the greatest achievements of humankind uh it's it's incredible the sagrada familia basilica so uh yeah we had a wonderful time minimal uh disruption to sleep and stuff like that and all kinds of uh all kinds of fun good memories so it's 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 great to be back but you know what we did Guys, we like we went to a lot of museums, you know, because yeah, I guess it's an activity. We weren't trying to overprogram ourselves, and we we uh, went through a lot, uh, went through a lot of museums, and I think it led me to think about museums. I'm not sure we've talked about museums before on on the podcast, so let me ask, like Pete. Or Pete first, maybe then Mark. Like, are are you frequent museum goers? Like, do you have good experiences of museums? What's what's maybe the most recent you've been to? I don't know. What comes to mind to to museums for you? I am a member of the trustees in Massachusetts. It's an organization that gives you access to a lot of preserved spaces, like historical sites. And is it like, like the um, is it like the the high table in John Wick? It's exactly like the high table in John Wick. Except right. Instead of exchanging gold coins, you just exchange full bowls of fish soup that <laughs> you just pour into each other's faces. No, 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 no. So like, so, and I, I mean, I go to a lot of museums. I love museums. Uh, there's a couple of different kinds of museums we go to. Uh, we definitely go to museums that are for children sure, with our kids, which is a different experience, but also the kind of thing you get from a museum that you uh, don't get from other things. Went to the Science Museum down in Cambridge recently. That was the most recent one to go see the dinosaur bones, which uh, and and other things, of course. But to see the the giant, um, they have a triceratops skeleton. I think it's uh, molded and recast. I don't think the actual bones are right out there right now. But you know, we had a grand time at the at the Science Museum. And the, there's a museum near where I live called the Discovery Museum. It's built for kids. There's a new museum in Peabody that we went to. Kids Children's Museum there. Uh, this is all in the last six months. Uh, and then, um, I mean, I love art museums. I love all sorts of museums. I'm a big fan. Sure. I'm, I'm very pro-museum. Uh, the, the Crane Estate, we went there. It has a bunch of paintings and, and furniture and stuff, and you can walk the grounds. This is an old mansion that now is owned by the trustees as a sort of area. It's like Downton Abbey. It's what Downton Abbey becomes by the, by the end of Downton Abbey, right. uh, if Downton Abbey got a little bit farther in the direction that the last season was headed, which is that the the mansion becomes a, a place for the public, where the public can appreciate the beauty and the uh, the stories and whatnot. So we went there. Uh, but Mark, yeah, what about you? Do you go to museums, Mark? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big museum person as well. My, my answer, by and large, mirrors yours, Pete, right? There's the kids' museums you take kids to, which like, well, by the way, there's a whole category of quote unquote museums are really just like glorified indoor play spaces for children, which is totally fine. Yeah. I love them and I frequent them often. Um, there's also like, you know, likewise the natural history museum category, you know, with the dinosaur bones and things like that. Um, and that, you know, that are more enjoyable for, for kids and adults alike. And I work on, on those two different levels. I'll also add that the New York city, you know, the natural history museum in New York city recently opened up a, a fantastic new wing. Um, and there is a, here's a, I'm going to drop a vocabulary word on all y'all vivarium. You know what a vivarium is? At least, at least in the context of butterflies, it's like a big room where there are live butterflies just floating around um, and will just like land on you and pay you a visit and um, either uh, bless you or curse you. I haven't figured that part out yet. <laughs> um, so that's that's pretty great. Um, beyond that, like I don't really more for myself. I, I'm absolutely that person who will like, you know, um, uh, take a afternoon that could be spent doing many other things and just like go to the Met of wood. Oh, you know? yeah. But I didn't have you have kids. And like, you know, gaze upon the artwork mm. uh, and like, you know, put on my like very amateur art history hat, try to like, you know, figure it out. It's like, what is this about? What does the composition say of this? And it's just like, you know, gaze deeply. What do and, they tell you? What are the what are the works of art whisper into your soul? Um, uh, your, your children need you. And you <laughs> 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 Carl, 
Carpe diem. <laughs> hint, hint. Seize <laughs> see the day. <laughs> Play some video games. Get good, noob. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to stop by CVS and pick up a bottle of detergent. <laughs> you you want this painting on a tote bag? <laughs> I was, you know, so I was in the gallery at the Louvre where uh, Liberty Leading the People and the Raft of the Medusa are near to each, right near to each other. So uh, I I had my own uh, John Wick moment, Um, you know, uh, not, not that I was challenging anyone to a duel at that, at that particular point, but I did, I don't know, I did, um, I did. Uh, want to challenge some people to a duel. And those were the people who were walking with their cell phones ahead of them, just kind of like indiscriminately recording, uh, where the kind of the main activity of the, the, uh, thing was to, was to, the, of their visit to the Louvre was to look at the, uh, you know, look at the, the three inch by five inch screen of their, cellular telephone. So I, you know, I don't know. I had, I had those people, but I, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I had thoughts a little bit about like, uh, the, the abstractness, right? Like the kind of the artificial setting, the artificial museum setting. Cause a lot of the, I don't know, a lot of the paintings that we saw were like decoration. We're, we're not decoration. That's, that's a, like a real burn in art, isn't it? Oh, it's decorative. I think that's what they say when they, when they want to like diss each other. But like they, they were made as adornments for like, uh, spaces of, of sort of like, uh, public or private import. It's like Lady Mary says, you know, we don't, well, we don't buy paintings. We have, we don't buy pictures. We have pictures. You know, we don't buy paintings. We have paintings. Or maybe it was Edith when she was, uh, she was going to, to go with the rich guy, the the newspaper baron. I forget which of the the sisters. Pete, do you, can you help me out here? Do you remember which sister uh, nearly married a newspaper baron? That was Edith. Edith nearly married oh, no, no, Sir Jorah. Lady, Lady Mary, no, Lady Mary, Lady Mary, because that was Ian Glenn, right? It was Sir Jorah Mormont. Both, yeah, yeah, he was a newspaper baron. Lady Edith married a like newspaper editor. Yes. Right? Yeah, think, or so, but, or didn't or failed to marry him at right, you know he went, crucially. He went to, to the beer hall push right and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Exactly. Spoilers for for the Weimar oh, Republic. These dreadful, well. All these yeah. dreadful brown shirted fellows <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, right, but but and then she is the one who ends up with a copper bottomed Marquis. Uh, the, yeah, so that's. Uh, uh, that's the thing, you know, and that that like the the correct there there was a like um a correct a historically correct context for these things to be seen, right? And it's not um you know uh it's not like the putting them all together kind of organized by I don't know, organized by some like academic criterion and like putting them in the, the, uh, in the halls of the Louvre. Though the Louvre as like a, a one time palace, I suppose, is a more, more appropriate setting than like a, you know, MoMA or something like that. So, so the, you know, I, I started thinking a little bit about the, the artificiality of the, or the eh, artificiality. I mean, what, what isn't artificial really? Like what, you know, only, uh, only, um, hunting and gathering are not artificial, I suppose. But like, you know, in, in this very, this very specific kind of abstracted, um, academic context and, and putting them together. And I, w- I was thinking about like what is lost and what's gained by doing, uh, by doing that. And definitely like, especially in the, in the Louvre, there are these like living quarters of Napoleon the third that are in a weird corner of the building and you can go and walk through and it's like, Oh, this is the, like the reception room. And it looks like a, you know, a big Downton Abbey sort of hall thing where you'd have a bunch of actually, you know, much earlier, it's, it's like, it looks like a Bridgerton, uh, uh, type of uh, thing where, you know, a lot of people would be sitting around and playing cards and, you know, there would be this kind of social life going in. And and what doesn't belong there is like groups of tourists each following the flag of their own interpreter and like, you know, listening to a hushed tones explanation in their in uh, in their own language and sort of gawking at the gawking at the opulence of it all. And I, I you know, started thinking about I you know I started thinking about that and the 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 uh, the con- the just omnipresent telephones just phones shooting pictures of everything um 
uh, also made me think about this because it, it, it introduces a further remove, like both in terms of the remove of the person looking through the lens. Uh, it's not a lens looking at the, the screen, you know, like, uh, composing their their photograph and then the person like presumably looking at the photograph later though i don't know if any of these things actually ever get reviewed looked at i you know i i think we have a lot of a lot of like uh snapping and and maybe not a lot of like reviewing but we looking at it later and kind of having it be this this picture of a picture of a of a of a thing um yeah, and that was uh like like the you see the line of people going to snap selfies in in front of the the Mona Lisa, um, and it was just uh you know I don't know it's it 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 just it it struck me as as odd as kind of a weird thing that we we accept as normal because it's awesome like I don't know going to a museum is great like I love I love it and I love seeing I love seeing the art but just the kind of the the weirdness of it I felt a a sense of the strangeness of it uh, as I was going I don't know like Pete have you been to a to a really um you know uh dedicated sacred space recently where you know everyone was kind of there to do one thing <laughs> one thing together I- Matt, it's great to have you back. I love when you go through and you make like five different conversation topics and you immediately segue to changing the subject before anyone else has a no. chance to say anything about it. No, I thought, oh, <laughs> Peter, I tried to do it too. It's my, it's my, uh, it's my, it's my innate humility. I figured no one, no one cares, no one cares enough to comment on the things that I, the things that you I'm know, talking about. What do you think about the artificiality of museums, Pete? Well, I think it's interesting. I wanted to talk about that a little bit because well, the first question sort of is, well, why? Though you did articulate that a little bit. Why is this a problem? Because, well, why is it why is it wrong or bad to take a pic, take frequent pictures of yourself in places that you don't often go to or of things that you may never get a chance to see again? Oh, oh I'll tell you. There, for the three, for, yeah, for three, well. for three yeah. special reasons, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. One, uh, one is that you are, you are degrading your experience in the moment, right? Okay. You're degrading your experience, uh, right now by reducing what you're seeing to the three by five inch, you know, screen of your, your cell phone rather than sort of taking in the, the panorama. And that's bad. The second thing, right, is that the pictures that you're making are of poor quality, almost certainly. And that better, Right. So, so you're, you're degrading your experience to create something bad and that's bad. And then the third thing that's bad about it is that you're messing up everyone else's experience by like standing in the way and not like moving along and like trying to like monopolize the good angles and things like this. So there's kind of a self-centeredness, uh, there's a self-centeredness to it and and that is bad so uh it's bad because you're doing it it's bad because the thing you're making uh is bad and it's bad because other people uh around you's experience is diminished by what you're doing i agree with everything you said there matt but i do have to ask you you're telling me that like you did not take your phone and take any pictures at the museum of like the fancy thing in front of you I took a picture like a few, of, right? of of Christina standing. I'm I like it's kind of embarrassing what I like at the Louvre. I really like the Wing Victory of Samothrace. I just think it's you, beautiful. It's not embarrassing. Beautiful. That's that's yeah. That's it's super incredible. Yeah. Like you turn the corner, you go up that staircase, and like boom, there it is. Like the wings are incredible. You know, I don't know. I took a picture of Christina standing uh, standing in front of that. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that is the you know, one. It's, it's funny. Oh, though, and then like, I took, a, like... I took a video of, uh, panning quickly, whip panning between the raft of Medusa and Liberty leading the people. But that was so that I could send it to you guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So that was it. That was it in the Louvre TBH. Is there something, it's, it's funny that like the, 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 the fact that it's a large three dimensional statue and also like in a more open space, right? There's a staircase that makes it like less gaudy less of a gauche thing to do to take a picture the place was that your reaction was it your reaction to that as well i think it's a good place to stop i think it's also around the the place where a lot of people just take a break because you're if you take the standard path that's a ways in and i think it's one of the places where you can kind of break off and go get food or something along those lines like it's at a crossroads but the louvre is built really weirdly 
right? It has all these weird, like the um, the periodicity of the Louvre is weird, where you have the different wings that you go through and you arrive at these sort of rooms that serve as kind of nexus crossroads between going to different places, uh, as opposed to other It's like the circuits like, oh. of time in, in Bill and Ted. It's like the circuits of time. You know, you go to Socrates and you go to Billy the Kid and then, but then there are these kind of like tubes, you know, that you go through in your, in your phone bo- booth. Yeah. I yeah. think that, that's you, what you're saying. You don't return back to the central area. You're never, you're not proximate to the central area very often when you're in the Louvre. Uh, at least in my experience, and I've only been there once. So it's an interesting in that a place like the Wing Victory of Samothrace, you might see a lot of people just sitting on the stairs because they're tired because they've been walking around and there's nowhere for them to stop. I feel like it's a natural stopping place that you probably picked a spot that was suitable for taking a picture. Yeah, I don't think you would feel particularly bad about that. Um, I mean, I like the loop. I, I, I'll, I'll offer this because I will talk about the thing you wanted to segue me into. But when I was in seventh grade, I was very lucky to have a teacher who let us or encouraged us all to take a field trip to the Met, which was framed to us as more taking a day, you know, playing hooky and taking a day off from school and going to the museum. And this was an English teacher, which I think was also interesting, who really wanted us to connect with particular pieces of art. And we were supposed to pick a piece of art we really liked and come back to class and talk about it the next day. And this is this is seventh grade. This is uh, Dear Dr. Greenberg uh, did this. And um I remember there's the painting. I don't I should remember the name of the artist off the top of my head. I'll look it up. There's a painting of Joan of Arc that the Met has in New York. And of course, we were in New Jersey. So getting into the Met was not hard. And that painting just struck me tremendously the first time I saw it. I was really I was really moved by it. Um, And this is, of course, at a time when you're really in a very interesting place intellectually. If you're like reading books because you've read some books, you haven't read other books. You haven't really had time to read all the books that people tell you you're supposed to read. And so like, if you're enthusiastic about reading books, you have kind of a hodgepodge association of ideas swimming around your head. You're also just at the point where all that confidence you had that, uh, from being prepubescent is gone. Uh, like you no longer feel like you understand the world anymore. And are instead of a great place of great tumults, I don't know if you guys had that experience, but the point being that, that we had a context for discussing the art that happened, guaranteed to happen outside of being at the museum. And we also had pictures of the art that we were talking about there. So we would go back to class and talk about the art that we'd seen at the museum. And I think that that's valuable to be able to do and might have been a reason why at some point you might have wanted to take pictures, but you don't have to do that now because you can find pictures of everything that you want to talk about and they're online. So, and they're better than anything you could you could possibly take yourself. Yeah. I still took a lot of pictures at the Louvre. I'm not going to lie to you. And I think you probably maybe would like going to a museum with me, Matt. Wait, it's, what? Uh, what? Uh, oh, on your phone. You mean when when you went there more recently, not not yeah. as a uh, not as a seventh grader. No, no, I actually went there last week while you were there and tried to stand in front of you and take as many pictures as possible. You know what? We ran into like No, you're 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 joking, Pete, but but brief tangent. We went okay. on a uh, a bike tour of uh the, the like the grounds around Versailles, which are beautiful and there's like an open air market where you can like buy a, you know, like a cheese and a baguette and like, you know, super flanchy franche things and like sit there by the Grand Canal on the grounds of Versailles and then then like, you know, bike around the thing and um we we were with uh, a bunch of other people uh, Americans and Australians mostly and two uh bike based influencers from New York and I'm, I don't want to put them on blast so I'm not going to say their names but the but um they were you know clearly clearly like they were there to create content and you know as you do on these kind of like day long excursions you chat with people and make friends and stuff like that um and then you know your day ends and you all go your separate ways we ran into them twice in the louvre uh our bike based influencers and i stopped and like said whoa and like waved at them and they were so absorbed in creating content for social media <laughs> that they did not notice my dorky ass standing there like signaling semaphore waving my hands in front of me so uh you know like uh i i don't i i'm not sure pete that you necessarily deserve opprobrium or ridicule for for taking pictures but but that doesn't mean that nobody deserves that yeah <laughs> that's that's fair I'll say that the pictures I took the most – I took a lot of pictures in the Louvre of the statuary. Uh, in particular, I had a lot of conversations with my wife because uh, we were on our honeymoon too 
about the specific Romans that were depicted in the statuary. Mm. So I, I particularly spent a bunch of time dwelling in front of the bust of Marcus Aurelius, which, which is there, which, of course, is a statue that's in a bazillion books. And um, you've seen the I've seen the image of it. It's also not really displayed in a place that suggests that it's important. And perhaps it isn't. But uh, it's a statue that I recognized on site instantly. It's I've seen it, you know, thousands of times, probably. Uh, well, not thousands, the one, the one that looks like he's visiting the outhouse. Yeah, like, look, it looks like he's half asleep. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I'd seen that image many, many times and uh, and was very excited to see. It. I didn't even know it was at the Louvre. So I was very excited to see it. And I could have dwelled in front of it for a bit and took pictures. But they let me stand, like, right in front of it. Right? Like, like it's you're, it's not like the Mona Lisa where it's back. You know, it's in the corner. And I don't think maybe maybe, like, 19 out of 20 people didn't even know what it was or went right past it while I was there. So, like, that was exciting. Philistines. So, yeah, I wasn't blocking anybody's view while I was taking a picture of it. Um, I was almost like saying, like, I can't believe they're letting me do this. Because <laughs> like, I'm like standing right there taking a picture of him right in his face, right in his big old meditating face. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I talk about uh, I talk about the different the different emperors and which ones I like the stories of and which ones I don't. Um, you know, the other historical figures. I, I love chatting at museums. And I think that I love – uh, and so the very serious, the very serious enjoyment of Zim, which I also enjoy doing, I do feel like sometimes gets in the way of making the most out of the experience, uh, at least making the most out of the opportunity to interact with his art. Maybe the only time you're ever going to get a chance to do it. It, it reminds me of, of the contrast between theater audiences and ballet audiences, which I think we've talked about before, at least mm. in my experience, where a ballet audience will just like get really hyped. In even if even in a very formal setting, if the ballet is like really lit, you know, if that ballet is is really knocking it out of the park, like they'll be applauding and you know they'll be sure, like shout, shouting. Yeah, we went. We actually shouting. went to a ballet at the the Palais Garnier, the you know the what Ballet National de Paris or something like that, yeah. and uh, saw a saw a three a three hour uh, interpretation of uh, Dante's Divine Comedy. <laughs> Staged, <laughs> staged as a as a ballet, and the dancing was pretty lit, and there were people like shouting bravo and stuff like that. So oh, yeah. yeah, folks were folks were getting hype in the you know in the kind of the you know gilded orchestra of the of the Palais Garnier. Yeah, I mean it might be by a maitre d, but people are still getting served, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, but to to add to contrast that. Because I think you wanted me to contrast it a little bit, and I think but we planned on it. I did, but um, I didn't. I didn't want to deny you or Mark the opportunity to to go off on on museums. So you know, let's make sure Mark gets his his. Oh, uh, yeah. gets his yeah. legs in. Go off, King. A quick thing. Um, I will actually defend at least like some aspects of the, the practice of, of taking a photograph uh, of a you know of a piece of art in a museum, even though it has all these drawbacks you described, Matt. Right, like. Um, let's just put it this way. Life is so precious. Life is so short. And we were just like trying to like freeze the ephemera, um, bottle it up. Um, even if it's just like, you know, you pull it up on your phone a few months later, you're looking through your old pictures or the algorithm serves it back up to you. And we're like, huh, I was there. I saw that. Um, there's a value add there. There is a cost of that as well as you described there. So it's a tricky balancing act for sure. Um, the other thing I wanted to just put out on this topic as well is that if you like fancy art museums in Europe and you don't like people um, destroying the experience with uh, their phones, either for themselves or for you, then you should go to the Prado Museum in Madrid, Spain. Uh -huh. It's an amazing museum. They don't allow phones there. And you know what they got there, guys? You know what they got? Mm. You know, you know my boy Goya, Francisco de Goya. Ooh. Yeah, they got all the the whole series of paintings that include Saturn devouring his infant son. Um, and there's Which a, normally there would just be a crowd of tourists in front of all taking selfies, right? Being like, hey, <laughs> so, ah, yeah. put your head in my mouth. Ah. Right, exactly. Like. <laughs> yeah, seriously, it would be, right? Like, oh my gosh. Um, but there's a whole room of these things here. Um, and you're just, uh, you know, you're left to take in the experience just with their own eyeballs and not meditate it through, uh, uh, through an electronic screen. Um, and the pictures are dark. They're weird. Um, and, uh, it, it is, it is an elevated experience. Awesome. So you're saying it's an alienating and confounding version of going to a museum. Sign me up. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. So one of the cool things about these art museums you're talking about is they generate this um, tremendous amount of social and formal energy 
around the intentionality of the art that you're seeing. This art is important. You're supposed to want to look at it. Uh, the particular experience you're supposed to have with it has a form factor that's associated with how it was made. And it shouldn't be interrupted, right? We want to think of this as something that can exist outside of the context of social interaction that is just so rich and so grand that merely standing and looking at this picture should be something that you do in the absence of any distraction. So I went to a, a monster truck show this weekend. Sunday, <laughs> Sunday, Sunday. It's a little different. It's a little different. Monster truck show is a little different. If I could go as far in the opposite direction as I could f- possibly imagine, uh, even more than I expected, I would say that that, that is uh, where you would find a monster truck show. I went to, just to make sure, my observations are not universal across all monster truck shows ever. Uh, I went to a two extreme racing show featuring not one, but both of the Scarlet Bandit and Bounty Hunter. Their drivers are married. They are the big deal at the two extreme racing uh, circuit or whatever, the two extreme racing shows. It was not, in fact, Monster Jam, which I think is a higher cachet, higher prestige show. These are trucks that sometimes compete in Monster Jam, but this was their proprietary show. We went to the Topps Field Fair Arena, which would normally hold things like shows of livestock or whatnot. It's a big <laughs> dirt floor and a couple of bleachers around it, like a high school football game, except it's dirty and and uh, literally, like, it's dirt, a dirt floor. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, like, I was pleased. There were two people sitting in front of me who would occasionally take out their phones to take videos of what was happening. And I was, like, actively excited that they were doing that because I was also taking, like, videos sometimes. And I actually, at one point, captured video of them taking video of it because it just – it was so necessary to the appreciation of the – narrative of the monster truck show that the audience was contributing a lot of context Mm. and the thing that they don't tell you well they do tell you they tell you when you get serious about actually going to one of these things uh you don't find out about it if you don't ever think about going they are tremendously loud like like rock concert level loud and depending on the venue depending upon the acoustics but these are like giant engines you know they're running on you know methanol or whatever (laughs) and they're just like roaring and at a tremendous RPM without much uh, muffling. And so my son is wearing full-on ear-covering headphones. My daughter's wearing full-on ear-covering headphones. My wife and I are both wearing earplugs. And there's an announcer who tells you that the races are happening, but, like, it takes a long time to get through it. And then the monster trucks come on, and, like, the rules of monster truck racing are not clear. Like, they're not intuitive. <laughs> oh, it's, like, oh. Not, it's not, one, you do not talk about monster truck racing, and two, you do not talk about monster truck racing? I thought rule- it was you don't, conduct, you don't conduct business on uh, continental grounds. <laughs> rule number one of monster truck racing. <laughs> you can't hear anything anyone says about monster truck racing. Yeah. Rule number two of monster truck racing is you can't hear anything anyone says about monster truck racing. It's very much a circus vibe where... I don't think you're even really expected to sit and watch the whole thing. Uh, there was an opportunity to go and actually pay money to go take a ride in a monster truck, which we did. But we showed up early to do that. And I didn't realize it was something that was going to be open the whole show and that that line would never get shorter. So at any given moment, there's a few hundred people in the stands watching the show. And then there's a, like 100 people online to go uh, ride in the monster truck in the parking lot and do donuts riding in the back of a monster truck, Amazing. which was the most fun part of it, which was super fun. But the people watching it were so important because the it was supposedly competitive. It wasn't clear what the rules were. It wasn't clear why the people who were winning were winning. Uh, like there would be long breaks between any action. They would they would make interruptions in the action to bring out, which I think is a common thing in monster truck shows, to bring out like ATV racers who would just do a random ATV race. And they didn't even sort of say who they were. They were like, oh, it's the team from New York and the team from Massachusetts. So you really get a sense that you're being like, oh, you're a mark and they're just trying to take your money, which is fine. I mean, I'm there for the I mean, I'm there for the show. Right. Um, it's we, we're, we get it. You know, well, I'm not at the fairground to not have a fair time. And uh, but yeah, like the people who are excited to see it are such an important part of imbuing it with any meaning at all. <laughs> and I just really regretted that I couldn't talk to anybody about what was happening. Mm. And, and that I that like and then also the crowd just because not because of, of social reasons, just because logistically it's too loud. Yeah, it's too loud. You literally couldn't talk to anybody. It's not like, like the etiquette. It's not like the etiquette of monster truck truck shows. You know, like don't 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 talk near the putting green. No, it's it's more like uh, it's more like it's impossible to talk. 
No, you're like next to a giant like outboard motor that's like revving, you know, like it, like it, four of them in a clean enclosed space revving at like thousands and thousands of RPM. So like, uh, yeah, no, you can't hear anything and you can't talk to anybody. Uh, I mean, I guess people probably do, but I couldn't. And it also, I mean, a lot of people had their kids, you know, it was very common to have your kids there. And the, the, the show did not really engage with the kids that much. They did a halftime. They had like a power wheels race. Where the kids came out, if you brought your power wheels, you could race it on the track, which was wow. pretty funny. But uh, but in general, there's like no real break or like talking to the crowd. Like there's just silence of like 10 minutes where you're waiting for the next monster truck to come out. But even then it's like, what's happening? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Do you know what's going on? <laughs> right. So uh, and there's just a tension in the air, man. It was it was intense. Like I wish that there were a whole bunch of people who like stood in front of the Scarlet Bandit and got their picture taken with her during the show because then i would know that she's supposedly important i didn't know that she was supposed to be important until i looked her up on wikipedia after the show after she won i'm like oh that's like very surprised by this i was expecting like professional wrestling style she would have had like a big entrance with an announcement or announcer and like you know her theme song they they did have an entrance but like they had um well first of all if you paid for the vip tickets you could go do the meet and greet before the show and again, everything, mm. it, you know, you're a mark. They're trying to take your money, which is totally fine. I'm trying to find a place to break my kids and exchange money for time with my children, right, outside of the house, right? Like, that's fine. And also, my son loves monster trucks. I'll pay money for my son to sit in a monster truck. <laughs> totally fine. Um, but in the show, there's a point where they bring all the monster trucks out, and they sort of introduce what each one is. But only only she got out of her truck and sort of stood on the wheel and waved to the crowd. Nobody else got out of their trucks. And and I didn't really have any context for, like, who they were or what was happening. And then there was an interview with her at the end that felt like a pro wrestling promo from, like, 1987. It was a very weird and dated wrestler, pro wrestling promo uh, where she talked about, like, the guys are always arguing about their egos and I'm fixing my lip gloss and winning the race. And it's like, <laughs> wow, there's a lot happening here, wow. man. I wish I could talk to somebody about it. I want to talk to you guys about it. But yeah, it just made me think about how I love going to museums and having that side conversation with people about how the art is affecting me or what I like. Because what it does, I think, if you have a certain amount of confidence that you can have it, is it helps cut through the silence of, I don't know what I'm looking at it and I don't care. Which I feel like is a very pervasive yeah, feeling in some museums. Like, mm. I don't care about any of this. Why, why am I even looking at it? I don't understand. And if you could talk about it, then you can work through what your context is, you know, and, and maybe even maybe even take some of the air out of that by making a joke or two. Especially like modern art museums, like more, let's say, like abstract or challenging visual yeah. depictions that, you know, like don't present anything obvious. Right. You know, I'm looking at, again, Saturn devouring his infant son. And I know what this is about. And it's pretty clear. Um, and uh, well, it's, I mean, what it, it's what it says on the label, basically. Exactly what it says yeah. In, yeah. <laughs> you can have a conversation about that. But like, you know, if you go to the MoMA, right, and you see like, uh, you know, the more abstract, the Picasso Stuff it's just straight up cubism, right? Geometric shapes, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, that, that, that both of those things are help are interesting and helpful to have conversations about. Yeah, I hear on that, Pete. Especially when people talk about art needing to start a conversation, and it's like, oh well, you're not allowed to talk while you're looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody really says you're not allowed to talk. It's not a library, but uh, I do think that I like the side conversations, and it would have been so helpful during the monster truck race to try to sort out what was happening. I feel like I'm going to have experiences with my therapists in years. Where we're going to have unprocessed memories from the monster truck show. There's some, <laughs> there's some detail I was never able to put in context and just like floating around my hippocampus, like waiting for a place in my mind to sit down and live. Right. Uh, but it can't. So it's stuck. And then like five years from now, I'm just going to be crying and I'm going to be like, you know, that the, that the, the bandit, you know, uh, and the bounty hunter knocked over the tire and then Toxic came over, came over and revved his engine. And it made me think that it was all staged. I didn't know if it was real or not. <laughs> like, it's, like, is it staged? Is it real? I don't know. Right. There was um, they, there were certain points where the trucks seemed like they were performing as, as sort of animals where they would take sort of stances with regards to each other and kind of rev at each other. But they would be brief, and then they would pass, and then everybody would just drive out and leave. So you're um, meant to take like from that that um, it, it's possible that they would like ram into each other, like play a game of chicken. That's the, yeah, the theater. Yeah, that like like this one drives up to the other one to scare it, or that one is like defying this one and sort of declaring victory by revving. Um, you know, I had no idea that was going to be part of it. I would not have guessed that. I don't know. Like, I'm just saying I, I saw it and I wanted to talk to somebody about it. But the only person <laughs> nearby was like a, a toddler wearing sound protective gear. <laughs> 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 falling asleep as he was missing his nap. Um, but 
but yeah, it's uh, there's also it was also and I'm not going to lie about this. It was pretty it was pretty harsh. Like the environment was not OK um, <laughs> in certain ways. Uh, and, and by what I mean by that is that the degree of um, implied violence in people's clothing was like way over the line of what I would have thought was unacceptable, especially around children. The things that people wore around their kids, I was shocked. Um, now, granted, I think there's enough of a of, of an obscuring of what is being actually said in some of the garments, some of the shirts and stuff. But, you know, there's this guy sitting in front of me who who's they, they did a whole thing at the beginning of the show where they really effusively praised the U.S. military to like an insane degree uh, that made me really uncomfortable. Um, and again, and I'm not saying like this was a little thing. They literally called it like the greatest instrument of good in the entire world. Right. Like and and mm. like like they were like, that's, cool. that's going on a limb a bit. Well, I mean, yeah. whether you think that that is true or not, <laughs> like the performance was clearly attempting to like really, really overdo it. Right. Like this is a carnival barker who is trying to who is in a show from Kansas who's trying to like out patriot all of the other carnies. Right. Like this is the most patriotic carnival monster truck show. Right. We're so much more patriotic than everybody else. We're going to say that you're the saviors of the world, you know, that like that you're the most perfect and wonderful people. And then and then at the same time, it's like people wearing the shirts with skulls bragging about murdering people. And like, you know, from like Wait, actual there's, sh- there's shirts with skulls bragging about murdering. I'm, I was not aware. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're not the normal shirts with skulls. Um but I mean, the main one I'm talking about is there was a sh- the guy, one of the guys in front of me who actually stood when they were indicating who was active service was wearing a shirt from the invasion of Afghanistan that was bragging about like stacking bodies. Oh, okay. And like he was with like two kids. Wow. And, and it's like, That's a move. and so yeah, I mean, I'm not here just to bash him. Like, but the point was that like there's a lot happening there. You know, like, like what is up with this guy? Right. Like, is he does he like broken? Was he always like this? Does he not? Does is this so normal and iconography for him that like it doesn't give him pause that he's wearing this outfit? Right. Like, is it, it it's what's the norm that's being dealt with? I would is have it, loved to, like, talk to some people about it, but I also couldn't talk to them because you know, like, it's like, <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, you know like, I yeah, mean, that's, a, and that's then, not I, it would be really difficult to like the to suss out the safe avenues to have a, a critical conversation about the Yeah. You know, about the, yeah, the garments, the the level yeah. of violence you know, in the garments. like the skulls talking about going to Valhalla and stuff. And it's like, okay, that's okay. But it's like, I kind of wonder whether you're a white supremacist or not. I don't know. I feel the same way in the Louvre about all of the skull t-shirts that people wear in the Louvre. <laughs> <laughs> they're just like, you know, impressionism. Get on that side of the river, tool. <laughs> Except it's in French and there's just a skull and the skull is like covered in lily pads. Right? Like, and it's yeah, like, we're going <laughs> to put you on the island in the middle of yeah. the cathedral and set you on fire. <laughs> Mon martyrs, bury the degenerates in the river. Right? Like <laughs> The Louvre is real art. Everything else is trash. Right? Um, <laughs> what you're saying we're, is we're that. Stacking people- <laughs> stacking canvases. Stacking uh, canvases. Yeah. What you're saying is that people showed up at the monster truck show and um, exhibited character traits that one could describe as monster, monster as being monsters. Monster I, would, I would say that there was a chilling effect on open dialogue at the monster <laughs> truck show, yeah. which is weird because the main thing you're going to want to do while you're there is talk about all the monster trucks. But you feel like you can't talk to anybody. Is it, is it though? Is like the main thing you want That's to what do I want. Is, is, is what Pete Fenzel wants to do? Because Pete, you're. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, viewers of uh, listeners to this show would not be surprised that uh, I would consider Pete Fenzel to be one of the most verbal people. I don't know. And I mean, yeah. that I, that is a, a sincere compliment. I pay to you, Pete. I appreciate um, it. It's been used as an insult against me many times. So I appreciate <laughs> it being used as a compliment. You're so verbal. verbal. Um, but yeah, it's, <laughs> don't be so verbal. <laughs> but like, can we try to boil down some of like the um, the like the. the the base motivations for going to like a, a monster truck show, right? It's like the word I'm looking for is uh, the visceral. You're looking for a visceral yeah. experience that like, you know, acts like almost like pure emotion and sensation and um, spectacle. Is that, is that, is that fair to say? And like, um, yes, you go to a museum also to get sensation um, and well, spectacle in a, in a very different kind of way. Um, but like Pete, like, what would you say? Like, you know, if not, maybe you like other people, what is everyone else going to the monster trick show for? You're making a good point. And I'm going to try to keep relating this to the Louvre as much as I can. Please. Yes. 
Because I feel like Matt, I had a similar feeling when Matt was describing his Louvre experience. I was like, that's Matt's Louvre experience. Like, that's what it's like for him to go. And it's also part of why it's really awesome that you got to go, like, on your honeymoon with your new wife. You know, you got to experience that together. That's a, that's a special memory. Um, so a monster truck. Oh, I, I know better, Pete, than to talk to anyone about the things that are in my head. That's, a, <laughs> you know, that's the rule of marriage, isn't it? Keep that to yourself. No, I'm sorry. Pete. That's, that's not true. That's not even a funny joke. It's not, it's not even a joke. I'm sorry. Pete. You, you go, it's, go on. It's, it's all good. So monster trucks have several different modalities, right? Or several different vectors of, how, how would I describe it? There's several different ways in which a monster truck uh, functions as a monster. <laughs> I'll say that. So what are the, I'll, I'll say I'll outline three because, of course, classification sure. is a great substitute for knowledge. And, and that's wonderful. Omnes, omnes yeah. monster trucks in trace partes divisa est. Yes. Uh, so there are there are three kinds of there are three monstrosities of monster trucks. The first monstrosity is the monstrosity. I would say the monstrosity of savagery, where a monster truck is like big and aggressive and loud. And it does big, aggressive, loud things, right? Um, and and in that sense, you might want to go see a monster truck show because you want to see big, aggressive, loud things, like a giant truck jumping 15 feet in the air. You know, you might want to see, uh, you know, maybe there's going to be fire and pyrotechnics. I think you, I think you would have a very different experience if you went to a bigger and more arena-ish arena, and we're not sitting in like a sort of a, a county fair livestock arena barn you know on like football bleachers i think that if you're in a stadium that sense of the monster truck being a monster might be bigger the second sense in which a monster truck is monstrous is that it is uh uh it is it is sort of exaggerated it does it so in one sense it is monstrous and it is savage in another sense it is monstrous and that it is extreme right and such as the two extreme racing you know the monster truck does things that other trucks don't do it it, it sort of exact it sort of intensifies truckness with regards to capability and ostentatiousness right like you don't just go for it being loud and aggressive you go because you know it can it can do donuts super fast right a monster the way a monster trucks drivetrain is built because i've watched a lot of youtube videos about monster trucks with my small child is that you can use that you can set the differentials up right to have the wheels in one side spinning one direction and the wheels the other side spinning the other direction so you can spin donuts as fast as possible Right. Like it's built to be able to go in reverse as fast as it can go in forward with like a giant lever in the middle. Right. And so it can do these things that trucks can do, but it does them more and faster. Uh, and so it has more maneuverability and capability in certain ways than smaller trucks. In other ways, it doesn't. Um, so I would say that there's the monstrosity of savagery and then there's the monstrosity of degree. Right. It is it is a sort of bigger, bigger truck. Now, the one that I was there for. And the third one, I would say, would that there would be the um, the monstrosity of clarified form, right? That a monster truck has is exaggerated in that its wheels are very big, and so the dynamic of appreciating its parts for the whole, like its wheels are very big, its shocks are visible, it has a truck body, but the truck body is small. So the things that are familiar about the truck are large, and and the things that are sort of strange about the truck are small or absent. And I think that that might explain why monster trucks are so popular with children, because they are a sort of clarified and simplified idea of what a truck is and could be. That's good. I like that. And the fact that they jump high is less about how cool it is to jump high and more about not about simplifying it to the point where it doesn't even abide by restrictions. Right. Like a person, a kid who watches a monster truck show doesn't know what a real pickup truck can do. Like, it doesn't know that an F-150 can't jump 15 feet in the air. Like, they don't know. They're experiencing the truck without having a preconceived idea about what the limitations of a truck might be. And and instead, instead there's an appreciation of the purpose. Uh, I think that I've gone to a lot of – I've talked about the podcast before, Touch of Trucks, because I'm trying to deal with the, this kid. and try, I'm trying to connect with my son as he is so into all these trucks. And what the trucks do is so important to him. You know, this truck, you know, this is the front loader. It's not a bulldozer. It's a front loader. It has a bucket, right? That's a forklift. That's not a forklift. That's a flatbed, right? Like that, you know, oh, wow. Oh, okay. That's not a forklift. Okay. That's on the back of it, right? That's not a golf cart. It's a side-by-side, right? Like the different vehicles that have different purposes and he kind of likes them and memorizes them. And and then when we walk around an area where there's just a bunch of trucks parked for recreational purposes, he'll be like, that's the, that's the big dump truck. That's the cement mixer. That's this, you know, and. 
I mean, if, if ever we're bored, you know, I could just take it by the fire station and he'll just like gawk at the fire trucks and he'll like be like, that's the hose, you know, that's the panel. And there's this idea that the trucks are these sort of clarified, uh, they're big, which is cool. And he likes them because they're big, but also the simplicity of them having a purpose that's sort of clear and something he can comprehend seems to be something he's very comfortable with. And in that sense, the, the height of the monster truck experience there was paying the money to go ride in the monster truck as it does donuts in the parking lot, right? Because it's like, I get to be part of it. I get to see what it does and experience what it does. And the idea that there's like a narrative where the trucks are in a contest. I mean, yeah, we watch a TV show about this all the time, but like, it's really hard to get across in a live performance <laughs> that like the trucks, the trucks don't talk like they do on TV. Don't be, don't get me wrong. You know, like they shouldn't, but but yeah, I would say that the third monstrosity of the monster truck is sort of like a big head mode or sort of chibi anime uh, aesthetic where it's a, a truck of exaggeration where the and the exaggerations are are iconic uh, and make the form of the truck more digestible. Um, it's it's like, you know, and the, the flavors are simpler and everything is, is clearer. Uh, and, and actually seeing the live show did not satisfy that for me because I felt like it was serving the interests more of the people, not interests, it's not freaking, it's not the UN, but like, uh, it's not like we're not talking about, you know, and they're not doing international negotiations here, but it was more the taste of the people who wanted things to be loud and aggressive or the taste of the people who wanted to see trucks do things that regular trucks can't do. And there wasn't as much for the kids who, ju- who wanted to see the trucks as sort of simple, unrestrained expressions of being these sort of acrobatic truck things. Right. Like like that was easy to comprehend. Yeah, And you could do that. You just had to go in the parking lot uh, and not watch the actual show. And then when they bring out a bunch of four wheelers to do a quad race, my son literally looked at me and says, I want to go home. Like this is this is not. And he said, I want to go home. He just wasn't interested. It wasn't because it's not a truck. Right. Like you might think, well, if you want things that are loud and aggressive, somebody doing jumps off of like a dirt mound in an ATV in like jostling for position with two other people is going to satisfy that. If you care about like motorsports or engines or anything in the real world, it certainly would be, should be of interest to you. But for him, it was like, it was like going to the ballet and seeing a cooking show. It's like, you know, why is this here? I don't understand why it's not a truck. Um, yeah. Or, or like going to, going to the ballet and seeing like a, a presentation of the, of the, like the wardrobe department that like sewed the costumes or something. Yeah. Like that, yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. Because it's what strikes me as, as the three monstrosities that you're talking about is that they all belong to the truck. Right. And the idea yeah. of the operator, the truck kind of obscures the idea that there's an operator, uh, inside the truck, you know, operating it. And the, uh, the idea that there is actually a, you know, whole organization behind this orchestrating this spectacle for you know particular reasons like largely to part you from your money right and like uh yeah. and also to you know i don't know uh celebrate the the greatest force for good in the history of of humankind um that's marcus aurelius but the yeah. uh you know but the the atvs like quad atvs are very obviously ridden by a person they actually are kind of like animals right like they they're like a horse that you ride on the back and like you do tricks on the uh on the horse and things like that and if you think that the trucks are alive i mean like don't you don't think that the trucks are alive like in a magic way but if like if you're invested in the identity of the trucks right if you're and and the kind of the characteristics of the trucks and you have like through you know uh identification and projection and other means you're like you become like uh investigating in like uh, you investigated invested in how the the trucks interact like oh this truck like went up to that truck to scare it like you were describing before then nothing could be could be less interesting than um than the the atvs controlled by people because people are not what's interesting it's this it's this hot truck on truck action you know that i'm really uh uh that i'm really excited about um did the did the uh I mean, like, did the trucks, like, go up on two wheels and, like, you know, smash their tires together and stuff like that? Yeah, there was a two wheels competition. At nice. the, yeah, so, like, each truck got two chances to do something up on its two wheels, and then the winner got a buy in the races. We actually didn't even make it to the end of the show. Mm-hmm. We were we were only there for three hours. Then we had to leave. <laughs> but uh, we didn't get to the freestyle. That was longer been... than a ballet based on <laughs> Dante's <laughs> Divine Comedy. <laughs> Yeah, we went early so we could ride the monster truck, which we didn't know we didn't actually have to do. Um, But yeah, no, it's it is 
we could have watched Faust Part Two in the time that it takes them to finally <laughs> wrap up that monster truck show, which is which is a lot like the Louvre because you know you can go for a whole day and just feel like you know you could go right back the next day, but why would you? Right, like it's it's it's. Did you go to the? You didn't go to the Louvre twice, right? No, I did. I mean, I you know I would have, but it's it's one of those things. Like, oh, did you do the Louvre? Like, I I could spend a month and a half, you yeah. know, like wandering through and not do the Louvre, and that you know that's the 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 thing about almost almost everything. Um, I mean, we did the Eiffel Tower, uh, which by which I mean we we you know walked we trained and walked to the Champs de Mars, uh, like. Like right, right, uh, timing it so that at 10 p.m. when the glittery Eiffel Tower lights go on, we could snap a picture of that and then just <laughs> f right off, right off out, out of there. Um, so you know, I don't know. I guess there are things that that uh, that you do, but yeah, no, we didn't. Uh, we didn't go back. Our, ours was a TBH. It's not the the subject of this show, but ours was really a food and beverage focused. Uh, uh, excursion, um, you know, like a day wine tasting in the Southern Rhone and, and stuff like that were the, were the kinds of things, uh, the kinds of things that we did. And like, uh, and, and like the, the only thing that ever went wrong, right. And, and this wasn't even wrong. It was like, oh, this is too much good food. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> uh, my capacity to appreciate how awesome this all is, is diminished because there's so much of it. Much like, you know, being in the, in one of those, that really long gallery of Italian paintings in the Louvre, you know, <laughs> that like, uh, be, being there, that's really, uh, actually kind of a similar, uh, a similar situation, but yeah, it's, no, it was, it was typical tourist, uh, kind of thing. We, we, uh, you know, bombed in, uh, late, you know, just a little bit before lunchtime and, and bombed out when it was time to, to go grab a coffee in the afternoon. The monster truck show only had pizza to eat and the official pizza of two extreme racing is Domino's, which was announced over the loudspeaker. So like there was an announcement happening at one point while we were waiting online. My son asked me, what's that? It's like, I can't hear the announcement. They don't have a speaker here with the line is here. I'll run over there. I ran over to listen to the announcement. It says, and the official pizza of two extreme racing is Domino's. (laughs) And I came back and I'm like, it's Domino's buddy. And he's like, that's silly. Because he's like, you know, Domino's is the game. He saw on Sesame Street. It's not. <laughs> um, but I basically like to be at a show like that and to not be able to eat meat of any kind was strange, right? It's like, shouldn't there be like hot dogs or, or cheeseburgers or something? Sure. Yeah. If you're going to see monster trucks. I mean, I guess people sort of ate the pizza, but like not really. And I know there, there were reasons. I mean, you're basically like this. I got the sense that this was a show. Another interesting thing to contrast it with the museum is that I got the sense that this was a show that changed based on what venue they were in. And that might not be true, but my gut was telling me it was true, that they had certain parts of it that were planned that might be different based on how big or small the arena that they were in was. Uh, And and so, and like maybe the way they relate to the crowd would be different if the crowd was bigger or smaller. Um, As opposed to a museum where, you know, the museum is what it is and the museum, the paintings in the museum are what they are and the curators are kind of painstakingly aligning these things to try to create this perfected experience most of the time. Um, unless you're at that museum we went to that one time where it was just a pile of Twinkie boxes in the middle of the room, which was pretty awesome. Modern art's great, man. Um, were you, you guys on that trip? Where we no. went to the Twinkie box thing in, in Dumbo? Blinky was with that, and Stokes were with that. I mean, Stokes and I sat in chairs at this modern art museum and ate Twinkies for a little while. Because uh, it was just like an exhibit where you got to sit in a chair and eat from a giant pile of Twinkies. Oh, you, you just could, like, oh, okay. it wasn't just the boxes. It wasn't like empty boxes as a, a commentary on the like the, you know, I don't know, the the ephemeral nature of capitalist something, something. It was that, too. So there was a pile of Twinkies <laughs> that were in the boxes that were still there. Then there were two folding chairs and then there was a pile of empty boxes. And Matt, art is a conversation. Right. So. <laughs> So you engage with the Twinkie by eating it, and then you know your product becomes product. He, right? Art, your... art is a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's great! That's great. Does anyone? Uh, yeah. I mean, I like you know. I'd investigate all the ways of of eating a Twinkie. Like, do you bite the ends off and then like you know suck the cream out as through a straw? You know, like. Uh, 
Yeah, do you do you just like chomp down bite by bite? You know, do you treat it like a you know like a cannoli? Like, do you treat it like how do you how do you how do you eat it? There are an infinite number of ways to to kneel yeah. and kiss the ground on which there is a an art exhibit with Twinkies and uh, you eat one. Yeah, I do know that there used to be orthodox conventional ideas of how you would eat a Twinkie, but then when modern Twinkie eating came around, it just shattered all those preconceptions. And there was like a really radical reimagining of like what a Twinkie could be and where you could eat it. And, you know, someone just put up a urinal cake and said it was a Twinkie. And it had to be- <laughs> you can take two Twinkies and they can make roaring sounds at each other and can yeah. pretend like they're going to attack each other. Yeah, there's a giant Twinkie in formaldehyde that costs like five million dollars. that just like hangs from some drug lord ceiling somewhere. Um, it's the art of Twinkie has has just really uh, really exploded all of its preconceptions, like the, know, cream, guess, like the cream filling exu- extruding from the outside after the box has been stepped on by somebody. Uh, but sorry, go ahead. The the art of Twinkie isn't hard to master. <laughs> so many things seem filled with the vanilla cream to be eaten. That <laughs> their loss is no disaster. Um, yeah. Wow. I don't even know how to land this plane anymore. I flew on a plane and I landed back in, in Los Angeles on the, uh, back in Los Angeles on the, the bleeding edge. Um, well, we are super glad to have you back. I'm, oh, thanks, Pete. I'm glad and to we be, are going to do Fast X next week, right? Yeah. It's, uh, That's it's, the plan. it's exciting. Speaking, you know, speaking, speaking of things of, I've wanted to talk about and haven't been able to talk about with people is I haven't been able to talk about Fast X with any of you. And it's been really I'm really looking forward to it. Very glad. Yeah. For my yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, a week we're going to we're going to release the episode on my actual birthday. So we'll uh, this is my birthday podcast, Pete. And I what what I want more than anything else is for Pete to have a chance to talk about fast acts oh come on man you should i want to hear your voice too dude it's your birthday you get to get the talk it's your birthday we're gonna steal vcrs like it's your birthday <laughs> i just i did you do you, i i i'm thinking that like over the next week you know i'm not signing up for this but like one way to approach it would be to start at the fast and the furious too fast too furious tokyo drift fast and furious fast five furious six uh Fast and Furious 7, I forget what that one's called, The Fate of the Furious, F9, and then Fast X, uh, you know, crown it with a, a trip to the to the theater. Pete, did you see it at Jordan's Furniture? Uh, I did, yeah. yes. And I actually did what you described for Fast and Furious 6, but Got I haven't it. gone back to do the whole thing again, because I hadn't actually seen any of them, remember? I, I, like, I, I, hadn't, I, I was very late onto the Fast and the Furious, I would say, train, but we all know it's a car. Uh, but yeah, no, I was very late, late on board. So, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, um, I, I have, I have, we did that for six, but I would not do it again. Um, I did most recently watch too fast, too furious immediately after the birth of my first child in the hospital. uh That was the first movie he ever saw. Um, so I'm glad it was John Singleton directing. That's good. You gotta, you gotta give them that. That's a, you know, that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful thing. I, I, I apparently watched a lot of like cop procedural, uh, cop procedural television as I was, uh, you know, up crying and, and hungry as a baby. And, uh, when my dad would, uh, would, you know, collect me, we'd, we'd watch the Rockford files together, I guess. So that's, you know, you gotta, you gotta give them good taste, right? Like, you know, same thing yeah. with music and, and live entertainment, you know, you gotta take them to the monster truck show. Yeah. Mark, have you gone to any, uh, you never got to a monster truck show or anything like that. Have you got any unusual live performances lately? Um, experiences you've talked about some of the ones that you've been to on the podcast, I guess. Oh, I mean like, Oh, I, I went out to karaoke. Um, Oh, I was my own life. I was, I was my own live performance. Oh, that happened. Oh, nature is healing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so, so, but it's not private room karaoke. It's like big public bar. Karaoke. Oh, it was private room karaoke. Oh, private room karaoke. Oh, yeah, 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 see, yeah. I love, see, to, to equate all these things again, we've talked about karaoke so many times and I love karaoke and you love karaoke. We all love karaoke. And, but when you're out in a bar, especially if you're not with your own friends, if you're just, if you, if I were to just find a karaoke bar, go to it. Most of the time I would there, I'd be just sitting by myself, listening to other people sing, which I could do at home. Like I can turn on the voice or whatever. And it's nice to be in that kind of environment. But if you don't know everybody, like not being able to talk about any of it with anybody because you don't really know them is is kind of an obstacle for me. But of course, I'm a very verbal person, as we've discussed. Um, 
but private room is so great because you could sing more often. Right. And like, and, and you can even have like conversations in the choice of song much more easily among the people that are there because there's less lag between when you put the song in and when you get to play it. Um, the monster truck race really felt much more like you're the stranger in the bar for karaoke. And like every half an hour, something happens that's really of interest. Um, <laughs> where as opposed to private room karaoke, which was really more of what I hoped for, where it would be kind of like nonstop thrills, you know, like nonstop stuff is happening. People are flying all over the place. There's Enya, there's Motown. It's it's awesome. What did you sing at your first time back to real karaoke ever since they the world ended? Uh, the two highlights, Pete. Um, well, the first one to really kick things off and to um, just uh, remove any shadow of the doubt from this particular group of friends that Mark Lee is a freaking beast of karaoke was uh, Proud Mary. Uh, I can see Turner version of it. Um, it starts slow and then it gets fast, as the late great Tina Turner said. <laughs> um, and then uh, later on, as the hardcore uh, uh, you know managed to survive into the second hour, um, I busted out "If I Can Dream" the Elvis Presley <laughs> song. Because I don't know if you guys ever ever heard me sing a karaoke. Um, but that one, uh, I, I'm workshopping that one at home. Let's put that in practice. Is that in the movie? And, uh, uh, oh, is it in the movie? It's the big. Well, it's a big one in the movie, right? It's the big one in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah it's the big one in the movie. I feel like I learned so much from watching that movie. It was very relevant to my monster truck viewing experience. <laughs> <laughs> Just the whole carny culture, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you see, Pete, the monster trucks is the snow job. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to top that. Let's leave it there. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. And thanks, Mark and Pete, for uh, for holding down the fort while I was gone and for, for welcoming me back. It's It's great to be back. Next week, Fast X. It's uh, you know, the the film franchise for which Overthinking It podcast was created. So uh, we're we're excited for that. You know, you will you will all have uh, have the emails. The reserve reading is in the library. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and we'll be there. Uh, we'll be there next week uh, on the Overthinking It podcast. Till then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve.